0: Welcome back to Dat Chat. My name's Austin and I'm joined by Jake and Jordan. And it either is going to be a good day, good afternoon, or a good morning to you. And today we're going to be talking about, our first subject anyway is going to be about TikTok, how that's going internationally. We're going to cover a little bit of some strange seeds shipping up all over the U.S. and some other international stuff between the U.S. and China. So it's going to be a fun day.
1: Jordan, why don't you give us a load on What's happening with TikTok? What's the word?
2: All right, guys. Well, major thing that we got going on right now is some people may be aware, some may not. But TikTok is actually uh, being talked about uh, for wider bans within the federal government, as well as additional bans that may be suggested uh, for states and other localities. uh, But mostly around the D.C. area and the federal government. Uh, It's already banned in the military, but... Uh, this this is kind of bringing up more discussions around the idea of fears around uh, Chinese possession of data, location data, private data, all kinds of different forms of data on U.S. citizens and potentially uh, celebrities, U.S. leaders, other key in, uh, influencers within the economy, within the social life of this country, and just kind of how those uh, those bits of data can uh, actually be really advantageous in, in China having what's known as asymmetrical information against people here in the United States. So essentially, they have a, a dominant amount of information that we don't have on them in retrospective. So it gives them an advantage in, say, economic dealings or if they want to commit warfare or other things like that. So there's a lot of concerns around that right now, and um, it's been a big discussion point. So. My question is, first of all, what do you guys think about TikTok in general, just as an app? So
1: TikTok has absolutely exploded. I'm refusing by all means to get on it. Um, I've seen some clips here and there. It, I don't know. It's the next stage of popularity, this being steamrolled into direct influence and everything else. I feel like, I feel like I'm missing the ball by staying out of it. I'm actually getting a little bit of FOMO uh, as the time goes by uh i think i mean i listened to a bunch of gary v and he's been preaching on it since this stuff launched that like this is the way to network and everything else and you can use it to push a brand and it's this valuable valuable resource it's only going to get more valuable and everyone's going to be on it but i just i don't know i'm i'm split i can't i can't jump myself to get on there but maybe we need to make one for the pod i don't know
0: uh as for me i news uh i just now know that it is basically like every other social media app out there pretty much at this point i know it started out with those weird like 30 second videos of people dancing to the same song or everybody and then everybody keeps doing the same thing over and over again so that really turned me off but then a couple of my coworkers were telling me that oh if you actually um make it like your own if you personalize it more it actually is pretty funny cause then you get all the stuff that you want to see. So in that retrospect, I see that as being uh, pretty handy, but otherwise that's all I
1: really know about it. Yeah, it's a short form entertainment. It seems like, and it definitely, when you start out from what I've heard is like, it's just basically like taking what's trending on Twitter, but in video mockumentary style. And showing you everybody that's just doing that one trend, one trend, one trend, until you start going through and like liking and disliking stuff, and then it affects the algorithm somehow to like show you stuff that you are interested in, and not just like the everyone doing that one thing.
0: All right, so it's kind of like uh, Vine, but
1: yeah, yeah. Here. So it's like yeah, it's essentially what it is. This is like an upgraded thing of Vine, which this is kind of leads me back, Jordan. You might know this. Something that's come off like. In the back of my mind since this whole privacy and data rights thing wasn't there like another app not too long ago that everybody was like ranting and raving over and everybody was like using it for something it might have been like a face swap thing or like show yourself when you're older but it was like the user agreement when you accepted terms like gave all your information to russia or something like that
2: yeah so it was an app that was based out of russia that aged you up and everybody was going crazy on it there was another one also that would uh gender swap you so you could pull that up um that was mostly on snapchat but uh both of those kind of really exploded and yeah there was a lot of concern from people about the uh, i can't remember the name of the app specifically but it was uh um it was a company based out of Russia, a group based out of Russia that uh, was was running this app that uh, supposedly had a lot of deep insights into your personal data and user data that was not really relevant to the app itself and what you were using it for.
1: Yeah, I remember when that blew up and it was like a whole, it's a whole panic thing. And then I was like reading some stuff on it and I was like, you guys are idiots. Because like everyone blew it up and like said how bad it was. But then people were like, oh, it's not a big deal. I don't care like most of americans nowadays
2: they just yeah. don't care
1: but don't you dare put them 5g satellites up in the air be tracking my location
2: yeah i think if they realized how much 5g would benefit <laughs> their ability to use stuff like tiktok uh when they're mobile i think they might uh, they might come on board and stop uh stop worrying about it supposedly causing corona <laughs> i don't know man the tiktok uh
0: mega mind as it is is uh pretty set on 5g causing so many bad things more than good
1: That's- I just don't understand because like, some people are like, you're going to get all this information in these 5Gs and tra- trace me and track me. You can already do that. You have a GPS device in your pocket 24-7. The amount of apps you have location-based services on, it's not like this is a new thing. Like Since we went to data on your phone with apps, dude, you've been tracked since day one. Just move on and get over it.
0: Well, and I find it funny, too, is because for the people that also wear um, the smart accessories, like smart watches and stuff like that, they now know they it, exactly. I see you holding yours up. <laughs> it, it's they're they're able to uh, what, track your heartbeat, uh, pretty much your entire uh, medical health at that point in time, yep. aside from actually like major diagnosing it. So, I mean, why not just track everything else?
2: So that actually is a really good point for me to hop in on something that also is not necessarily part of the TikTok discussion, but it definitely has to do with the data tracking for sure. Um, So you mentioned smartwatches and like I know Garmin, which is known for GPS location. uh, They've also made their own and military personnel have bought these things for fitness training, PT, stuff like that. Well, you can actually track the fitness data of these people on their runs around their bases. So say, yeah, PFC decides he wants to go out and take a jog or he was doing PT with the group and he's got his watch on tracking all of his heart rate, his location, everything else. He's got his training going on, but at the same time, he's creating a map of the facility training ground. He's creating a map of the base. Oh, here's a route he took. Here's a different road that may not have shown up on the satellite, whatever else. There's all this different information that's easily trackable and uh, it's been exploited in the past actually
0: interesting so should I is there any ways I can like prevent this from doing that or am I screwed if I get a smartwatch? watch
2: I mean the easiest way is to stay off the grid yeah. you know I mean that's ah. one of those you know just kind of the uh, the bush life thing you know just go out start grinding some sticks together build a little cabin That's that's the best way to stay off the grid get you a
1: Nokia that you only turn on for emergencies and only light fires to light your house.
2: And... Only buy phones where you can take the battery out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> Good old but, Nokia, um, the
1: cockroach of cell phones.
2: Yeah, that thing's unreal. That, that that's the <laughs> thing that'll survive nuclear warfare. It's gonna be Nokia's. But um, yeah, I was really interested in in just knowing what you all thought in general about uh, TikTok itself, because as somebody who is into tech. I love new hardware. I love new computer hardware, new games, all that stuff. I lag so far behind on the social media aspect of things. I rarely use my Twitter account. I really need to use that more for sure. Facebook I use to a moderate degree, but that's just because I've had it for so long and everybody's on it. Snapchat, even to me, was kind of something that I was like slow to adopt. I still don't really use it that much. You never Not snap anybody. I, I never, <laughs> I never snap anybody. <laughs> like maybe I'll send a text or a message or like a reply to something. I, I just don't snap. Like it doesn't even occur as a thought to me of like, oh yo, I should snap this. <laughs> I'm just like so in the moment with my life that I never think like take a picture or do this. So, for me, social media is just kind of this weird thing. Like it's a great way to stay in touch with people, but like I look at TikTok and I'm like. Why make why make thirty second clip out of that? I, it just doesn't register with me the same way it does for a lot for of
1: For the people. likes, for the serotonin, for the dopamine. That's why.
2: Yes, my young, fragile little mind needs
0: everything of it. <laughs> it's all I want.
1: Chemically imbalanced. If you don't support what I'm doing, I need to be acknowledged. It's not a fad, Mom.
0: <laughs> like I,
2: I would be all over a social media the app that just like uh, it just aggregated. All the best memes from all the different social media channels—just Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever else—and just funnel them all into a single app where I could just pull up, like, "Here's the top 100 memes of the day." I funny I would love that. that. Yeah, tried. Failed. (laughs) 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 Tried (laughs) failed. (laughs) But I I would love if there was a, a way that they could make it work. And just pull up all the trending memes from now, the different platforms. You're
1: the one that knows the coding it. and programming. Let's, let's get this thing
2: running. Give a face. Yeah. Me you know, it it seems like so much more effort than I'd like to put in.
0: Yeah, you only have to code for so many, like, what, five or six relevant
2: iPhones and then probably 50-plus yeah, like, really, really, Android yeah, phones. It's you're not just, that hard. You're just, pulling, you're just pulling the data from the apps and, you know, centralizing it. But at the same time, it's like, do I got to take five minutes out of my day to do any of that? <laughs> ah it's a
0: deal breaker ah just
2: think of the theoretical millions you could be worth ah yes my theoretical millions I can it's already me. I can already see them I'm swimming in them right now <laughs> so let me let me get, jump
1: back in and ask you this does Trump actually have the ability or the power to ban this thing or is he just blowing smoke out his ass again
2: so There's the possibility for executive orders around certain things, but for him to make just a categorical ban that would go outside of the federal government and extend to the states somehow, if if that's what he's looking to push, that would require participation from the states because he doesn't have a power like that enumerated to him in the Constitution. And the Constitution explicitly states any powers not enumerated or delineated to the federal government uh, are decided upon by the states themselves. There are a number of uh, Congress officials from uh, um, different states who are also not only wary and skeptical of TikTok, but even other other uh, technological companies, right? So, I mean, we're talking Google, we're talking Facebook. They just had a big hearing with a bunch of different CEOs from these companies in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, who's to say that more states wouldn't follow through?
0: Did this hearing go exactly like the Facebook hearing did a couple of years back? Or
1: they didn't know what the hell they were talking about when they were asking yeah. questions. Was, was it, one of the things was, with Zuckerberg, he was talking about something. He goes, "Well, the particular thing that you're referencing happened on Twitter. Um, that's not my platform, so I'm not going to answer that question for you." <laughs> and like the guy that asked him was just like, "Uh, what do you, what do you mean? What's the difference?" Like he didn't he couldn't distinguish between Facebook and Twitter.
2: Yeah, there, there's a distinct lack of understanding from the current personnel that are in Congress. I mean, they, they're woefully outmatched in terms of trying to figure out and then legislate appropriate um, measures for this kind of this era. I mean, we need people in there who really are advising them and explaining to them in the best ways what this kind of technology is and what it does and how it works and how people are using it. Uh, But at the same time, that's not to let the CEOs off the hook either. There was a lot of deceptive answers, a lot of straight up refusals to say yay or nay on some easy questions. So, you know, there was there was a lot going on on both sides there.
0: You know, when you brought this subject to my attention, the first thing I thought of was, okay, um, if these two centers are trying to pass this, I was my first instinct was how old are they and what do they know? So I spent a good amount of time actually looking up their age, and like how relevant they are to the subject. And I was like, okay, at least one of them's like
2: 40, but then the other one's like 74.
0: So I'm just like, eh.
2: and how much I'm, would I bet that both of them have a background of being lawyers? Nothing to do with technology. Uh, no comment. Yeah, it's the vast majority <laughs> of people in Congress are. Well, over the age of 40, and most of their backgrounds are you know, they were lawyers or lobbyists or somehow aff- affiliated with areas that have very little to nothing to do with the actual technology that they're trying to legislate on. Yeah,
1: I did appreciate the TikTok's uh, GM's flex this weekend, straight up put out a video like, Hey, we're not going anywhere, by the way. Maybe you can do it on government issued, but like, we're chilling. He's not a dictator, so he can't ban us on U.S. citizens' phones. But if push comes to right. shove, they're ready to sell their shit. Like, fine, we'll just sell it off.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that would be an interesting one, too. I heard reports that Bill Gates was interested in making a play on it. I don't know how much of that is true. I haven't looked into it. But, uh, I mean, the company, that, uh, the company that's running TikTok has valued it roughly the same as Gates' entire net worth. So I'm not sure he could make a extremely palatable deal to them but it would be interesting if uh tiktok became an american owned subsidiary or had an american branch of some kind now would this
0: be bill gates and his uh charity foundation that's interested or is this microsoft
2: from my understanding it would be just bill gates um i don't believe Uh, i don't believe he has the current power i may be mistaken i believe he's a uh, board member with uh, microsoft at this point so I'm not entirely sure that he would be able to secure any backing from uh from them right now as he's not in the uh <clears throat> he's not really in like the organization's active leadership structure at the moment. Oh, uh,
0: okay. Well, if he does actually end up getting it, let it be known that we called it here
1: first. <laughs>
2: yeah, we're, we're calling it right now. Gates and Microsoft are looking at at uh, TikTok. But uh it, it would be interesting. It would really be uh quite interesting if if Microsoft did uh, Move in to acquire it either, you know, at Gates' request or with cooperation with him.
1: I thought it was kind of interesting, though, um, kind of back on his base of power thing. This opens up a whole other conversation. I don't know we we want to go down it, but it was basically saying he can't do it because he's not a dictator. And the instant thing that popped in my head is, oh, so you mean like just delay the election and then we just become a fully totalitarian state after we can't elect a new president because we delayed it? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I laughed at that, and I also laughed at the idea, too, because uh, Xi Jinping has recently in China become uh, – you know, the the whole election term limit that they had uh, is out the window under Mm -hmm. his presidency. So he's effectively able to be president for life at this point. So you got two authoritarian people here in the U.S. and in China. (laughs) We're talking about such-and-such can't make this decision or can make that decision, and I laugh because I'm like, well, the country you're based in, I mean, your president could do that. So who's to say that uh, who's to say that that trend couldn't uh, eventually become reality elsewhere? I guess this is a good point to
1: segue as we talk about that potential override of power. Um, we can kind of get in. This will segue to our seeds that we want to talk about, but kind of the whole thing behind Lewis DeJoy as the postmaster general, because this is where my theory is going to come from when we get to the seeds. So I'm going to break this down. Just make it aware that Tr- Trump appointed this man that has no background kind of in that whole operation of things who is now over as the postmaster general United States postal service and everything that goes into that. But yet this man is trying to make a point to delay the election because he doesn't trust mail-in ballots, but you put this man in charge of the United States postal service.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on with, with that aspect as well. So, I mean, in in his efforts as uh, the postmaster general as well, um, <clears throat> there's been a lot of there's been a lot of talk about the slowing down the rate of which mails being delivered, otherwise affecting processes that have been in place for a long time that have been effective, and uh, seeking to essentially. I, I don't know if any of y'all have followed, but uh, he had a general announcement when he became postmaster general. I actually watched the video on it to see what his initial ideas were and uh he presented nothing i mean it was a pretty general conversation and what he's done so far looks like he's just kind of trying to dismantle and slow processes down in a way that would result in the post office becoming inefficient and privatized
1: in the future and here's my thought he's the one that sent the seeds
2: that's interesting so labeling them as chinese sending okay Okay, I didn't even consider that as a theory That's been, that we would be self-sabotaging. As,
1: as soon as these things came up, I was like, this is a whole political play that roots back to when this man was appointed by Trump. Yeah, he you
2: just doing. took the existing predominant conspiracy theories and just just dunked <laughs> all over those conspiracy theories with an even more conspiracy theory. Yeah,
1: man. I'm telling you. This is really what's happening. You guys can quote me on this. When it comes out in federal court at some point remember where you heard it
2: out of that yeah that's wild to me i mean awesome what do you think about the the seeds (laughs) what's your uh, Uh, your idea
0: i don't have any uh good ideas like that one but uh honestly i don't know what to make of it it could be anything from just elaborate hoax from some guy that just felt like doing it to anywhere from what a quote-unquote survey of what they're i think they're saying it is and then all the way up to jake's uh pretty plausible theory of it being all all part of a master 4d chess game so for me it i'm gonna go just with the um ignorance is bliss thing and just say it's just uh just an elaborate hoax right now someone did it for
2: fun interesting interesting so i mean the two the two most prominent ones that i'm seeing are that it's a brushing scam Mm-hmm. Or that it's potentially a free like uh, like a pre-biological weapons kind of like effort where they're essentially just taking like, hey, let's take like these harmless seeds or whatever <clears throat> and see how we can mail this biological material out to people. Is it going to make it where we want it to go? Is it going to get picked up? Is there going to be any kind of major response? And it, it's a way some people are seeing as a way for them to gauge how sending like a biological agent via mail like anthrax or something like that would work on a large scale i've tended to think it's more along the idea that it's more of a brushing scam just because of how many chinese companies are out there manufacturing and selling goods on the internet that you know it makes sense to me that you might set up a bunch of fake accounts and then create real addresses associated with those accounts, ship a bunch of garbage to them so you can get, you know, fake reviews. And it's not the first time it's happened. Mm -mm. But it's the first time I'm seeing it happen with like something as weird as seeds. Like a lot of people will get random free shit that just arrives, like watches that don't work or toys or whatever else. And it'll just be like, what the fuck is all this stuff showing up at my house? And they don't really pay much attention to it unless it's like, you know, a ton of stuff all the time. But it's interesting with this thing with seeds, especially just like the widespreadness in which this is apparently being sent out to people, So
0: that made me think, actually,
2: if it is a
0: uh, testing for them biologically, for them to find out if their' um if their product made it to where they wanted to, it's pretty easy to find out because everybody's posting about it everywhere. So it's not like they have to wait very long.
1: yeah there's been three hundred people in Indiana. like I was just reading an article from The Indie Star. They have gotten them. So, like, my state, if it was biological, would probably be screwed at this point. So,
2: yeah. And I wonder, too, like, how many of these people who have received this stuff have already done stuff like throw them away or like try to plant them to see what they might be or whatever else? Like, for
1: as long as this, I mean, it hasn't been going on very long, but like, I'm still surprised that we haven't gotten these things in a lab and like looked at them or had some type of statement come out. Like, they're basically just saying, we don't know if they're harmful yet.
0: Yeah, it yep. could they could be natural mustard gas seeds. And then or agent <laughs> is what, this, is what this is what I heard. Yeah, Plants sprout they just release mustard
1: This is what I heard. It's this actually is not how it's made, right? It's actually oh, a cure God. for coronavirus. Oh. And China's trying to bail us out because they know our government's trying to screw it up through with the election. That's what I heard.
0: Oh, so do you eat the seeds or
1: I don't know. How would you Apparently you plant them to grow some herb that would in turn cure coronavirus. I oh, okay. can't get through it. But yeah, so, that's, that's one of the theories. So
2: my prevailing theory is that this is actually it's actually select few people who have been chosen and gifted for growing giant beanstalks to get to heaven oh. where all their wishes can be granted. <laughs> so they'll they'll climb up the giant beanstalk and they'll find the giant's house and you know, it'll uh, it'll all be well. But no, it's weird. It's weird because I've heard reports that some of these bags of seeds have been mixed. Like it's various different seedling types. And I'm, I mean, I don't really know a ton about botany. So like I assume seedling types would be what most of the stuff is. Uh, but then some of them have just been like bags full of the same thing. So I guess there's a lot of stuff that still has to be tested. M-hmm
1: yeah Because that's like what this Indie star article is saying is that they're they seem to be blended with different kinds but varied in shape, size, and color. And some of the initial tests out of Washington state found that some of the seeds are a moranth which is a feed weed family that's on the nauseous list noxious list in Indiana and other states. what means in short, they can be harmful to crops, ecosystems, and even humans or livestock.
0: So they're safe to eat as long as you
1: cook them? Yeah, dude. Just boil them up, you know. Crack them like a pistachio, you're good to go. Yeah, just consider them
0: all pumpkin seeds. I was just going to, like, put them on a tray and then just let them be outside for a bit and then just eat them. That's how I cook my seeds. Hey, just
2: UV UV sun cook your seeds? Yeah. I can see you doing that, Austin. I can see you doing that. (laughs) It works. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, the... The seeds one is the most interesting to me just because there's so much air of mystery around it still. And I think once we start identifying what the majority of these seeds being sent out are, we can start making more accurate assessments of what the, the deal was here.
0: I just thought but, another theory. Oh? No? So I saw so I came across another article recently that uh the cartel was shipping cocaine around in coffee beans. Ooh. So maybe the, these seeds are not for cocaine, but for heroin.
2: Hmm. Wow. Like poppy plant seeds or something. That would yes. be. that Would be interesting. Little opiates. Well, just disguise them in there. I mean, who's to say if you if you didn't figure it out those were uh you know opiate plants? So you might not just go ahead and plant them out in the yard, you know? I mean, okay, so you <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> actually business. know what opiate plants look like. though. That's true. There's a lot that don't. But I mean, just I mean, there's the a lot I of areas. What a where... sunflower
1: looks like. Also, the 20% of the population that has an opioid addiction problem that probably know exactly what it looks like.
0: Well, see, I don't think... A lot of them may be like, hey, where- can I make this myself? <laughs> How can I do this? Give me some miracle girl. looks like. They probably only know what the actual end product looks like.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say. Most of them probably don't even realize that, you know, like, oxycodone actually even comes from plant <laughs> That's main ingredients come from plants, so... But... Yeah, it's... Yeah, the, the seeds are that's one I'm still, I'm still trying to follow actively and see what's going on with that. But in light of the fact that all of this so far is having to do with the United States and China, I'm thinking this would be a good time to kind of recap a little bit about what's going on with the whole trade situation, COVID, all that stuff. And some of the issues we've been having, um, with the current administration and uh, the current Chinese leadership as well.
1: I definitely, so, I definitely feel like that's your cup of tea as far as international markets, etc. So if you want to kind of lead us through this.
2: Yeah. So uh, I'll give a quick rundown. So, I mean, since 2017, I mean, we've been having tensions with China for at least the last decade or so. Um, but uh, since 2017, we've been having on and off talks about you know, trade negotiations, a bunch of tariffs on both the part of the United States and China have been passed on things like aluminum, and steel, as well as billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars on, uh, on other products as well. And at the end of 2019, kind of going into this year, we had like a phase one trade deal going on in which China essentially said that they would start taking in U.S. ag goods and the U.S. was essentially agreeing to ramp down a lot of the uh, the tariffs and such. Now, in light of all of that, as well as what's been going on with COVID and the strain that's put internationally and domestically on U.S. You know, imports and exports and business, I mean, what do you guys think in terms of knowing that the U.S. and China are more and more competitive with each other? Do you think that the situation gets worse or do you think it gets better? Because I've got my own thoughts, but I'm interested just to know what you guys think from the information you have.
0: All right. Now, when you mean worse, do you mean like just our our trade war itself, quote unquote, like the actual trade war is going to get worse or better or just like our relations with China as a whole?
2: Our relations with China as a whole. So like, you know, like the TikTok thing is is more social. There's a business aspect to it. There's an economic aspect to it, but it's really more social for the vast majority of people, whereas the trade war is more economic it's impacting a lot of farmers people in the great plains there's a lot of people who would be working with you know different materials and manufacturing steel stuff like that who would be impacted by the tariffs on chinese metals so looking at the whole picture understanding like we have seeds being mailed to everybody all this other garbage is coming up what do you guys think from your understanding of what you see in the news or whatever else do you think is going to be a big deal? maybe in, in any year or two, do you see us mending relations maybe with Trump, maybe with another president? Do you think we're just going to continue to compete detrimentally?
0: Uh, I guess I'll go first. And uh, the way I see it is, is just like the U S China has been putting in a lot of what's the word I'm looking for They've been investing a lot in their own country and their own personal interests. And they've been branching out to many different areas just to, Essentially, um, instead of having a generic, regular war, they're having a more of a economic war. Uh, their i their philosophy, in my opinion, is completely different to ours. Though it does seem like we are more <laughs> leaning towards what they are, just slowly, but it's under the the disguise of being the American way. So for me, I don't see a place where this where There's, we're not always going to be at odds with each other. I feel like whenever there's somebody at the top, there's always somebody that rises to challenge them, no matter whether it be a country or a person. So to me, I feel like if it's not us in China, it's going to be maybe China and someone else or maybe even us and someone else or something along those lines because that usually always happens. I mean, it's been shown throughout history too, but with like what the Roman Empire and the barbarians up in the north or um with the uh with Genghis Khan and his uh whole civilization so for me to it just seems like there's always going to be problems when two giant factions rise and we didn't really see it much I um, okay me as a person I didn't see it much uh with Russia because I didn't really grow up during the Cold War I didn't get to see any of those things but to me it was kind of the same thing but that that's just where I stand on it mm-hmm.
1: Oh, you hit it perfect right there. The analogy to the Cold War. It's the same thing where it's not actual invasion, but it's a it's a race for progression. Um what's kind of scary is the fact that we've created such a reliance on goods and products and everything else from them that they really have a lot of, I guess, leeway or a lot of influence on affecting us at this point. While, like Austin said, they're building and developing their own infrastructures and kind of being able to pull away. So you don't know what that dynamic is going to look like. Um, I'm in a real fear that our leadership's not going to change anytime soon. As far as this term um so i don't think that's definitely not going to help us in the short term but kind of on the same the same thought process that austin's on is there's always going to be the conflict uh it's about the just the dynamic of the current time of who's trying to achieve what and how those interlace together that really changes the narrative between the two so i i don't see it progressing to the detriment of war or stuff like that, but I definitely see trade being influenced. um, Slightly fearful that we take a big fat L
2: out of the whole process. Yeah. That's, that's some interesting perspectives for sure. Um, I, I'm interested really in that analogy um, Austin, that you brought up in the end and that Jakey reinforced with uh, the reference to the cold war. To me, it's, it's a lot more dangerous, I think, than the cold war because of the direct relationship that we have with china in comparison to the I mean, because the cold war was more of like um i mean it, it was it was economically opposed forces for sure but our trade relations with russia were not nearly as tight as they are with china and it was more of an ideological battle that was fought between proxy wars right so it was more like can we influence democracy on this group of people and can they influence communism on this group of people and we have those groups fighting each other more than a direct conflict whereas like there's the economic fallout is more or less a direct conflict right so it's it's you know costing people money it's costing people jobs resources things of that nature but at the same time China's growing in a lot of sectors that we aren't right 5G renewable energy they're open to things like um uh, experimenting with like you know different types of nuclear battery tech and things that we really have been hesitant to embrace. So I wonder more about, along with Jake, if if the current administration continues on and our best approach is to essentially try and price war them in an area when their economy is continuing to grow and expected to be larger than ours by the end of this decade, uh, well before the end of this decade. I don't necessarily think that's a battle we can win. I think we would really have to be completely innovative in research and development with technology, AI, renewable energy, we would have to be rebuilding our infrastructure, reinforcing, you know, how we travel, how we communicate a whole lot of other things within our country, uh, to be able to continue to compete with them. So for me, I I, I kind of agree with, uh, you know, the general assessment, I think of the rest of the group, and that uh, we really stand to lose a lot from this by not handling it correctly. Do you see it? Uh,
0: how do I put this? Do you, do you see it being put as a burden on us, or do you see it more as a burden towards our leadership?
2: I mean, directly, it's already on the leadership, right? And I feel like, directly and indirectly, it's kind of already on us, depending on what sector you work in, what county, and what part of the country you live in. But, yeah, I, I would say it would definitely affect us. I mean, just consider the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, the Roman Empire and others, like, no country that's ever existed has stayed at the top throughout all time, right? I mean, because today we're here and our country's been around for 200 so years. So, you know, there's there's not much to say in terms of any one power staying on top it's just a matter of like when you slide out of that position how hard is that transition going to be for you right so you know are we gonna are we going to be like a uk where we go into a transitionary period where we're no longer dominating the high seas and going out and doing all this crazy stuff in all these other countries but we hold a strong dollar value is the dollar even going to be an international standard of currency anymore will it change over to whatever whatever additional future currencies may exist. Will there be an international currency of some kind? Will there be some kind of weird push? There's a lot of different transfers there that we stand to directly take a hit on as citizens. Not to mention the fact that if the United States starts to struggle in other areas, like its credit rating or you know, its, its debt to revenue ratios with the economy and the GDP, it's all different factors that stand to impact us as citizens. Because if the country's credit rating goes down, we have more trouble paying for infrastructure and jobs and other things that we've been able to print the money for up until now. So that's why you really need to figure out a way where it's like, if we can't compete with China on a personnel level or a technology level or whatever else, what else can we do to make sure that we're not becoming a third world country in this transition process? And we can afford to feed our people, we can afford to keep our infrastructure up to date. So, And I, I think we start with that by getting some new leadership in here, personally.
1: What kind of hits me weird about this whole thing? We're talking about the strain and the tensions between us and China right now. So how much and the cash flow and stuff like that, but this agricultural corn deal was a record sale that just hit like, what, two, three days ago? Is that us forcing them into a situation just because of the due, the lack of opportunity they have for land to do agricultural work over there or is that them trying to salvage some type of relationship since everything's been so tense like what's that dynamic look like
2: well honestly i think i think it's a good public play for them at the very least in the short term it's a boon for us in that deal but in the long term i think it stands to benefit china you know it's it's a move from china to say one not only can they afford to pay for this stuff Two, they have the capacity to take it in, and it reminds us that, hey, we can help your economy stay propped, or we can help your economy tank. And that's, you know, you want to put tariffs on us, there's there's a mutual understanding that we as China are manufacturing for the vast majority of the world. Name an Asian country, we're their largest partner. It's not the U.S. anymore. You know, I mean, you, you have to look at the impact that China has the money that it has, the influence it has in developing countries, too, like Africa. You know, I mean, like the U.S.'s strongest play there is working its closer relationship with India. And the fact that India has now more people than China and it's starting to ramp up in the areas of manufacturing, it's starting to take China's place as that hub. You know, as more and more people in China are starting to move from blue collar to white collar jobs, more and more people. I mean, well over 95 percent of the country, I believe, is is above the poverty line in China. So the vast majority of people are actually moving up into a large middle class. China's middle class is larger than the U.S.'s middle class, which is continuing to shrink here as well. We're starting to get into more upper and lower class. So there's a really interesting shift in dynamics domestically that I think people have to take into consideration for the international relationship between the US and China. And I think right now China stands to benefit the most long-term, especially the fact that if their economic growth continues on the scale that it is, by 2024, 2025, they'll be about 50% larger of an economy than ours.
0: Okay. Uh, here's a question for you, Jordan. Uh, looking back on it, uh, with with the hindsight that we have, uh, what were some mistakes we actually did do that led us to this position? And do you see any, I'm not saying, I don't want to say simple fixes, but any um, directions we should be heading in order to actually maintain our position? Yeah.
2: Well, number one, get this tariff garbage. I mean, the misunderstanding with tariffs that people have is unbelievable. I mean, you're, you're taxing an importation on a good, right? But that that rate gets passed on to the customer. It doesn't get passed on to the manufacturer. So if you're going to increase my tax rate by this percentage point, and I still want to make this as my profit margin, I'm going to increase my price. I'm going to increase the amount of disparity in which you were paying before to what I'm paying so that I walk away with at least the same amount of money, if not more. So that, that cost comes onto us. It doesn't come to like people look at it and they go, Oh, China's paying more to ship their stuff in now. That makes sense. Like, no, we're paying more to now have their stuff brought over. So, first and foremost, this tariff garbage. You know, if you supposedly believe in free markets and free market access and that you're paying for the best stuff or the price points and letting the market determine that, that's how you should be operating. Now, you know, not to say that tariffs can't have their place in certain, in certain areas and, and uh, things like that, but, um, you know, it's not like we have a ton of domestic production in certain areas that's really great anymore, like automobiles. You know, if you want to dissuade people from purchasing something in another country, yeah, a tariff can be good, but if that country is the only one producing it or they're the major producer of it, then you have to consider the fact that you're really doing more harm. So I I think looking at the tariffs, getting rid of a lot of these tariffs in areas where we really aren't competitive and making sure that we're reevaluating that is a really good place to start. But also trying to reinforce areas as well as educate other countries and create a system in which the international community has a little more power in terms of I'm somebody who believes that you know, like the UN should have its own standing forces that are commanded by the UN to do things like act as peacekeepers to keep other countries from necessarily engaging like the US military is engaged in all these different areas. We spend so much money on the military that we could be using to revitalize areas of our economy. Uh, you know, so I think looking at reallocating how we spend a lot of our money at the federal level, uh, as well at the state level, too, is a great place to also look because we have a lot of dollars flowing in and out. We have... 21 22 trillion dollar gdp and for us to say that we can't allocate 10% of a military budget when that budget far eclipses china or anybody else's you take the next 10 or 11 countries combine them all together in their military spending doesn't even come close to the us so you know there, there's just a lot of areas where we could be revamping ourselves at a societal level you know looking to help people who aren't making enough money get more into the economy. As the economy gets more spurred, we start getting more R&D, we start getting more encouragement. You know, Maybe we have a population increase, people can actually start affording to have families. And then we start seeing more people enter the workforce. Now we're worried less about how we're gonna pay for all the medical bills for these boomers. A whole bunch of stuff that has to happen at the domestic level. And the Fed really needs to be the leader because so many people don't pay attention to state level and even local level politics until they get older. That if the Fed starts leading that and the Fed's on TV every day, we start seeing that, and uh, I think businesses could follow suit as well if they see some pressure come from the government.
0: Okay, I'm gonna throw out a little side thing here, but I just got uh, just got done watching the Last Dance Go Bulls. and you're basically <laughs> saying that it'd be a good idea for us to take uh, what 18 month off, um, 18, 18 month retirement as uh, Jordan did to revitalize the country
2: yeah yeah you know i'm saying we uh we hang up the shoes for a little bit you know uh flex that sport now Justin. <laughs> okay very very glad to have a uh, last dance reference in here go bulls go bulls for uh anybody listening that doesn't know we're all originally from illinois though none of us live there anymore and uh um i specifically am from the chicago uh, metro area so i grew up uh right by uh united Center and, all that stuff. So for me, bulls are a big deal, big, big deal.
1: We're going to dive into that one on here at some point.
2: We will, we will definitely do a last dance episode for sure. Especially since Austin's, uh, Austin, you said you finished it or you're, uh, yeah, I just finished it. Excellent. Excellent. So I might revisit it again, just to make sure I got all my <laughs> facts exactly up to date, but uh, we'll definitely hit that for sure too.
0: But uh, to get back on point, do you see us being able to uh, like afford to take, a quote-unquote, like, 18-month retirement thing just to revitalize our economy and step down as, like, say, um, like, the world police or world... I, I know we can't, but just, like, step down a little bit from being, like, the world authority.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of things that can be done in that, too. I, I think it takes a focus and an understanding that, you know, we ne- we need to be competitive, not only internationally, but we need to be competitive domestically on a government front as well. So, you know, you can't, you can't have one state with highly upgraded infrastructure and another state that has poorly, uh, you know, uh, upgraded infrastructure and still have those two states trading with each other effectively and providing resources to, you know, the Fed uh, effectively, which then also lead to other, you know, international deals and goods being sold. So, You know, got to have effective and and efficient ways for those potatoes to make it from Idaho to, you know, Europe or Asia or Africa or wherever they're going to go. So, you know, upgrading infrastructure with things like educational systems creates better workers, right? You have better workers. They get into better jobs. They produce better things. They get better pay, which makes them stimulate the economy because they're making better money. And when the economy continues to get stimulated with that, what do you get? You get better results you get better GDP, you have more and more money to play with. And, you know, like money's not an infinite resource, and I don't think money should necessarily personally be the end-all be-all. I mean, I do think things like infrastructure should be something that we take on as a societal expense and understand that, you know, roadways need to be updated. Railways need to be updated. Ports and other areas where, you know, I can't dock my ship at a broken pier. You know what I mean? You have, to, you have to make sure that all this stuff is up to date and if it, it's efficient. Use new materials, new, like the power grid. I don't understand why we aren't moving in mass to implement nuclear, renewables, all this other stuff, and then use it as an opportunity to harden the grid. It's like the single greatest threat we have to domestic life and our ability to keep our military running is our power grid. All of our electronics and devices, our high technology military is what gives us an advantage really depends on critical infrastructure so without that you know we we really can't say that we're uh we're ready for anything or that we're we're good to go because we don't have upgraded technology to support uh, at every level to support our incredibly advanced military operations
1: so you're saying you want them to take a step back and play a little city skylines
2: That's exactly what I'm saying, you know, build up some roads, build some schools, create new programs, invest in educators that are, you know, dedicated to military science and other areas where the government sees real value. I'm like, focus on R&D there, but make sure that these people can also go into civilian jobs with skills that are real and relatable that allow them to develop and create and be thought leaders going into the future. Because that's really what we are at this point. You know, we're we're a white collar economy for the most part. That's where the vast majority of our money and influence in the world today comes. So, you know, in in terms of uh, spurring jobs as well, I think that could also reflect into COVID and, you know, the vast amount of unemployed people we have right now. This is a, a real reminder and situation that we can't have half of our economy based on retail and service based positions. So, I mean, we got a lot of people depending on, you know, a one-time check payment and some unemployment benefits. So, I mean, I don't know if you guys have uh, been following up too much on the um, the second round of stimulus checks either. I'm interested to know if any of you guys have been looking into that. What I was mainly
1: concerned about, like I saw that we're potentially going to get another one for the same amount. It was the last time I looked in on it, uh, but that would be with no unemployment benefits, no... Payroll protection, none of that stuff again, like we had in the first round, which I really think is more of the concern because if we're not, like you said, if our all of our economy is based on those positions, those positions aren't coming back until we get out of this thing. So there's going to be more people that are at harm losing that $600 incentive on payroll or on the unemployment that's not going to be able to make it work and that $1,200 is not going to be enough to bridge the gap until these people are employed again.
2: And just to add to that real quick, too, a lot of those jobs aren't coming back, even when this is done. Yeah, a lot here, of those yeah. businesses have already gone under. They're already done. So that's something else that needs to be taken into consideration, too.
0: The thing that gets me about this is that they, the government keeps saying that they don't want to go into debt because of it. And I have a few numbers here just to just to back me up a little bit. But, Show us what uh, you got there was an economist that they interviewed for an article and he's, they said um, that after it was all said and done with the $600 unemployment benefit that was going on, uh, we spent about 1% of our nation's GDP on it, which I mean, it's, it's not a lot compared to what we spend otherwise, but I think it was upwards of around $200 billion. Correct me if I'm wrong. So, uh to me the the excuse is not there that they can't afford this because i looked at um trump's proposal for his uh yearly budget also and i think his proposal for the military or for um, the defense budget alone was upwards of like 718 billion dollars and seeing as how jordan stated earlier that our military budget is um like vastly um vastly more than like the top ten countries in the world right now, we could definitely uh allocate that money elsewhere.
1: yeah, there's definitely places where you can trim the fat, and like we're talking that initial round provided what three to four months of unemployment protection mm-hmm, and if we're talking about how serious this vaccination and everything else is supposed to be, four months from now, we're looking what we're December. So potentially peak flu season again. Hopefully, they're saying by 2021, we at least were finalizing a vaccine. You may not have it distributed or have it direct access yet, but this would bridge the gap to get us four months closer to that timeline if you would just trim the fat in some places where there's obviously things that can be cut.
0: Right. Well, and also um, it was stated that for every dollar that was spent on the unemployment insurance, a uh, dollar fifty of ac- economic activity was generated. So, to me, I mean that's what like a fifty percent, yeah, it's like a fifty yeah, percent increase. fifty percent increase. So, I mean, to me, that that seems like a no brainer. I'm, I'm not a great economic, or I'm not really good when it comes to <laughs> these kind of things. But to me,
1: it was at least just, a return on investment,
2: right? And and then it was a course, return I, and a profit. Is well, what it was, right? It was a profit yeah, it was a, investment. It was an investment.
0: overall profit for the economy, which is like it, it's great. Where, where else can you say, actually see say, see that?
2: Right, which leads me to believe, and leads me along this line of thinking of we need to have people in there who are actually dedicated to restructuring this idea of how we operate the economy and where we allocate our money and creating efficiencies because there's so much misinformation. Uh, I mean, the Treasury Department leadership right now. I will not name him by name, but, um, you know he's he's citing things that economists have come together largely and said, Yeah, there's no indication that your fear has been has been has any kind of indication to it over the last few months since uh, people have gone on unemployment. There's no showing that this twelve hundred dollars has just gone into people's pockets. Or paid for some fun time. The vast majority of this money has been correlated with upticks in people buying necessities like groceries and food, and continuing to stimulate the economy.
0: Well, and that that's crazy too, is because um during the study that I was looking at, it was saying that yeah, the lower class that got the um the stimulus check, yeah, they spent their money immediately, but it was towards the like essentials and necessities. Whereas people in the middle class that still got the stimulus check, uh, they kept it but they still spend it over time. So it was still getting spent, just not as quickly as what the lower class was spending on, which was more of an act of survival for them. So,
1: Yeah, which is obvious. Like You should expect that, I feel like.
2: Right. Well, the problem is too is is when you have leadership that's in the 1% thinking like 1%ers, they're not going to think like the 99.9% of the rest of the population, right? They're going to look at this and go, oh, they're going to get a handout, then they're going to hoard the handout the way I hoard my money. You know, they're, they're looking at them as other themselves. It's really, I think a lot of the fear that's coming from people uh, in leadership is more a projection of their own behavior than it is necessarily a reality on what the economic situation is. Because like I said, the the results that have come back from most reputable economists uh, at this point are not reflecting their fears at all. It's just the opposite. No. You know, people people in a consumer economy are pretty inspired to consume. They don't think in the long term. They don't think what's the ROI on this twelve hundred dollars? Where can I put this in my Robinhood account to get the best, you know, advantage and incentive? They don't think like that. That's why they're not rich. Should have put it in
1: Kodak last week.
2: Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's so many ways in which I could see people of higher incomes who maybe have more education or understanding of. The financial situations uh, and options available to them may take advantage of something like that and utilize it as a way to increase their personal wealth, rather than pour it back into the economy. But the vast majority of people making 75k or less are not in that in that realm. They're not doing yeah. that, and it, it's uh, it's a lack of understanding I think that comes from a lot of the people in leadership because a lot of these guys didn't necessarily work their way up from this side or the other. They are the descendants of wealthy families or parents or whatever else they've gotten their Ivy league education paid for or whatever else they've rubbed elbows with people their entire lives. And so they all have this bubble of how they think people operate with money. And so their fear is, Oh, if we give a bunch of the money in the government that we view as our money to all these peasants, they're just going to hoard it. And the peasants are going to try to become not peasants on a $1,200 check. Not that that could ever happen anyway. They don't realize these people are going to spend this money, and so I'm glad to see that economists are coming out and saying this stuff because sick and tired of a select few individuals spewing their bullshit when people really need this help.
0: I'll just touch up on one other thing too. Um, they were stating also that, uh, yeah, people would rely on this money, like if um. So how how they're de- debating it is was is the either. Give them the six hundred dollars, or they were going to cut it down to two hundred, and that's where they're going back and forth on it. And the numbers they were throwing out there—if they—if it was knocked down to two hundred dollars, then roughly about a million people would be seen as unemployed, just because of it, because they rely on they were relying on that six hundred dollar income, which, and I mean,
1: they would be seen as
0: well. they, they would have to they would physically be. Yeah,
1: Unemployed, like they wouldn't,
0: they would be what, like,
1: well, they're claiming that, so they would already be unemployment. You mean like, I mean, they were poverty. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Sorry, that was the word I was looking for. they would be, um, they would be impoverished, and the the way that the higher ups are thinking is that, well, if the if we come to rely on this six hundred dollar a month thing, or six hundred dollar a month, uh like stimulus check every week for it, then they're not going to go to work. They're not going to do anything, but they're also basing this on if we were in a normal like economy and not there was available
1: jobs and everything else. Like, right. I will say I I have, I have individuals I worked with that were making more money with that $600. So they can probably scale it back a little bit. Like these are people that make somewhere between 35 and 50 K and they were making additional money that they would have been if they were employed while they were on furlough. But at the end of the day, that's also because they weren't having tax deductions taken out of it and stuff like that. They weren't paying for health care, that they had to pay back at the end of the process um, and all their premiums and stuff like that. And all their 401k matches weren't getting pulled out. So I would be interested to see how much more they're actually making versus what they were at. But I mean, I personally believe there's probably a little room to scale it. But just like you said, like this is something that's not being abused. It's not being mishandled by the people that are receiving it it is a like you said form of survival and a necessity just to keep people operating
2: yeah i mean from my perspective i don't even understand what they want to get rid of this issue of the unemployment benefit don't have it put it in the check i don't understand why we have to be like well we'll allocate an extra six hundred dollars for i'm like you're giving the checks to all these people just put the money in the check and give everyone the check and make the check a regular payment. Then you don't have to sit there and calculate this unemployment benefit versus that unemployment benefit. You come to the scaling that's appropriate and you put it in the payment check. They've made this so much more difficult than it has to be. Well, we'll split the money up between this little bit and that check and this payment here. And it's like, just give everybody the fucking checks. You understand that people making This level of salary or less that are in the vast majority of the major need in this country are going to need this kind of money. Whether they're gainfully employed or unemployed, they're getting a check anyway. Put all the money in the check. Then we don't have to dance around this unemployment garbage because everybody's getting that check whether they're employed or not.
1: Right, but then you look at people that are necessarily at the top of that threshold that didn't need the check and now they're getting a triple or four times the amount that check.
2: No, because then we have the pay scaling, right? So people who made over like the seventy-five k amount, who oh. were still getting checks, their checks got reduced for every extra amount of dollars they made over that threshold. So, you so if you, you want more as well, right? So if you want people in the forty k range to make sure that they're getting the vast majority of that benefit, then you give people making forty k that extra boost, right? You give people making 75K the rate that you would be giving them for unemployment, and you give them their rate and the check. I mean, there's there's equitable ways to measure and scale the average that these people making these amounts are spending in comparison to not only their income level, but also the general spending for those income levels. That's why we have the tax brackets the way that they are. So, you know, I mean, like, we can progressively set a tax rate. We can easily progressively set a distribution check. That doesn't involve us having to delineate this money between a thousand different hands and departments and make a whole process of paying people out more convoluted and delayed because we can't agree on the unemployment percentage. That can all be figured out in a single payment, all of it. So that that's my stance on it. I, I see no reason why we can't just do that and up and the think- unemployment check by 800 bucks, a thousand dollars for everybody. And you said and you wanted it. everybody to have it, regardless of if they had a job or not. Everybody at those employment thresholds, yes, because that's how the okay. checks work. The right. checks are coming to everybody who has a job or not.
0: Mm-hmm. But you wanted to continually
2: keep coming for a for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Okay, I thought, um, to, I thought to get were... people through this amount. Yeah. Oh, okay, I thought you're for a universal. Um, oh, well, like a like, like, like an eighty-five. Kind of. <laughs> No, no. Okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just taking the scaled $600 payment, factoring it into the check, and gotcha. then scaling that payment based on the income levels and what people are reporting in their unemployment. Gotcha. Okay. Like, that makes like, more sense. And making it a single distributed payment. It's just like, it's so much less complex in terms of getting it done and getting it out there. But at the same time, it's more equitable for different people at different pay, pay levels. But they refuse to do that because, you know, A lot of internal politics on that and once again i think a viewpoint too a bubble viewpoint of well this is our money it's my money it's like no this is the taxpayer's money and you know they pay you to keep shit running as well as make sure that they're taken care of thank you for listening
0: to this episode if you enjoyed the content hit us up on twitter at dadchat underscore podcast follow us wherever you listen and you can also support us by donation at anchor.fm forward slash dadchat podcast